The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times, or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. I'm Amy, and this is Abe. We've been married for 14 years. We have three kids, two girls and a boy. Um, I stay at home and homeschool the kids. And I work construction. I've lived here since I was 13. Yeah, I've lived here for 22 years. Another smile, just one more. We've been going for uh, just over a year. That's when we met Dan. I met Dan. Amy and Melanie had already known each other for a while, and then we um, started doing a, a Bible study at their house. And he started talking about this church in Buckley that he uh, thought we should visit. And so that's kind of how it got started. We, I, I walked in there uh, the first time and saw a lot of camo and, and down-to-earth people, and, and I just felt at home right away. Begging you, please, for help. Well, I was born and raised in um, a traditional Amish setting in Pennsylvania. And uh, well, I wasn't—I was four years old when my dad moved to Michigan, looking for a more. Uh, he wanted to stay Amish, but he didn't want all the tradition. He was looking for a more uh, alive Amish church, I guess, if you will. Life was all about works, uh, what you did and did not do. The, you know, I think a lot of the correct verbiage was there, but but the life, uh, the way that we lived life was very much had to do with what you did do and didn't do. Release these chains of I really wanted to follow the Lord. I wanted to be Christian, be a Christian, you know, and, and do the right thing. I was I was baptized when I was thirteen. Over the next thirteen years of life, actually uh, sixteen years, uh, my life was very, very frustrating because I never could figure out how to live a victorious life. You know, ultimately what brought me to the Lord was was coming to the end of myself. Uh, I was I was faced with a situation from my past that I had to deal with. I think I was 28 years old at the time, and uh, was married and had three kids, and realized that I don't love my wife, or I wouldn't treat her the way that I did, and and didn't know how to be a good dad, and and all of that just really uh, pushed me to be willing to do whatever I needed to do to figure it out, and. Um, it was amazing to me, looking back, God put um, some really, really wonderful people in my life and uh, some other friends that just uh, really helped me to understand what was going on and understand that I don't, I can't earn salvation from Christ. There's no way that I can be good enough or do good enough to, to earn it. I have to just accept it. I grew up Baptist, and then when she I was... was a Baptist mil military brat. Yeah. <laughs> my dad was a Baptist pastor. And then when I was 12, my parents left the Baptist church and went Mennonite. Oh, wow. Which is where I met Abe. Because I do have, like, a perfectionist type A personality, like, the works aspect seems nice. Like, oh, I can just do the, these things and I'll be good. But, like, the big thing that came brought me to Christ was 
that doesn't heal the brokenness inside, that doesn't change who I am inside, it doesn't change anything. So I think faith and seeing what God has done for me and how that can heal the brokenness is the biggest thing. And then for me that translates into what I do for the church and what I do in serving because we're all broken inside and we all need that. We need someone to come alongside us and love us and do something for us. It can, you know, be anything from setting something up in the morning so that we can have a church service or working in a kid's classroom like Abe does. I spent a lot of time running after money and toys and, you know, all that stuff. And it just, there's nothing like helping to advance God's kingdom, whether it's talking to, to an individual or working on something like that building project or setting up on a Sunday morning, you know. It sucks. You know, setting up is, is hot. <laughs> and, uh, but, but it's so worth it. Welcome to the Tabernacle. Uh, I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're grateful uh, to Amy and Abe. I believe they're in the service with us tonight. And uh, for all those that have uh, shared uh, their testimony on video, that's not an easy thing to do. And so uh, we appreciate their courage and for them being honest and real and open with us. And uh, they're a part of our Manistee campus, and uh, they started as part of this campus. So remember that whole uh, one church, two locations thing. But uh, I want to start out tonight by saying Merry Christmas. And um, I won't wish you a Happy New Year yet because it is June, but it's never too early to start wishing people Merry Christmas, right? Saturday night, you'd think by now that you would know that we're going to play these little tricks on you, and you're still looking at me like that after all this time, right? You're my Saturday night peeps. Well, uh, Christmas is coming. You know the decorations are going to be in the stores pretty soon. You're going to get your shopping done, etc., because it is coming to the end of June. And here in the United States, where consumer culture, it starts earlier and earlier, does it not? Shame on us. There you go. Okay. But uh, in thinking about Christmas, uh, one of our family favorites is, is the whole Griswold Christmas, right? Remember this guy, because I have been this guy, uh, I have many Clark Griswold moments in my life. He's the guy, if you remember, in, in, in Christmas Vacation, where it starts from the beginning, he's decorating the house with all of those lights, He's got the staple gun, he's shutting down power plants, uh, all of the family's coming and he wants everything to be perfect. And so he's working really, really hard and he believes in his heart that this is going to be the most stunning Christmas-like display. You guys know what I'm talking about? Can we flash his picture up here? It's, it's perfect though when this moment happens, that Chevy Chase face, Clark Griswold, when he's like, but but I thought I had them all strung together, right? He gets all the family out there and he goes, here it is, kids, nothing. You guys remember that? And that becomes the backstory for the whole film. And, and he's just sitting, I checked every light. I did everything. Why is there no, ta-da! why is there no, you know, big magic moment? Now, I want to keep that picture up there just for a second because that face right there, That look of dismay, that look of what in the world, even if you've never seen the movie, I think many of us can relate to that face when it comes to faith. 
right? So in our series, God-Sized, we looked at God-Sized life. What does a God-Sized life look like? And last week was, what does a God-Sized church look like? And tonight, as we finish the series, or this weekend, we're looking at what is God-Sized faith? And we've said, well, faith is belief plus action. And so many of us, we want to be found in faith. We want to respond to that reckless love of God with our trust and faith. And so, you know, we've moved from belief to belief plus action, but we still kind of find ourselves like Clark, like, what in, what's missing? Why hasn't this God-sized faith kind of electrified my life, my relationships, my family, my hopes, my dreams? Because I'm feeling like I'm not plugged into something. See, we want to be real honest and real straight here at the tabernacle. You're not the only one who has sometimes felt like you've been unplugged from the power. Where's all this power we sing about? Where's all this power people talk about? Where's all this power that comes with my faith that I read about? And the reason I want to bring it up is I think many of us were too afraid to ask the question out loud. And we're like, Clark, we're just like but I thought I checked every light. Or like the part of the testimony that that Amy shared, right? That I'm a perfectionist. I thought I did all the things. Checked all the boxes. Where was it? There's a story from uh, Jesus' ministry here on earth. You know, Jesus not only was a teacher, but he was a healer. And so people would come from miles around to have someone Healed, And as the story goes, uh, what, what, what's implied from the story is there was a father who had a young boy. He had a young boy that had a problem. He didn't understand what the problem was, but no one could help him. He would have these seizures, almost like an epileptic seizure, but it was worse. He would lose control, and many times, whatever it was that was controlling this boy would throw him into the fire or would throw him into the water. And we're talking about a culture that is always cooking over an open fire. Right? And there's always water nearby, and there's no rest for the family because there was no help for this boy. You never knew when it could happen. Can you imagine that as a parent? We don't have the medication or the safety nets that we have today. And here we are 2,000 years ago, and this father's heart's breaking for his son, and he's got nothing else to do but pack him up and take him to the healer. Well, by that time, there's thousands of people around Jesus. He's kind of hard to get to. And he's also training up this cadre, this little posse of disciples. And he's training them how to do the same type of ministry things that he's doing. Well, as the story goes, uh, they couldn't help this boy. And they actually had to bring the boy to Jesus. The father came to Jesus and said, please, would you help my son we don't know what's wrong with him, but he's ill and he often have these fits and he, he's going to die if he's going to burn himself, hurt himself badly or drown. And your disciples couldn't help him. Is there anything you can do? And in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus responds by saying, this faithless and corrupt generation. And then he casts out a demon from the boy. And immediately the boy was healed. Isn't that interesting? It's like the disciples were trying to do the right thing. And they couldn't do it right. And then when the father says, listen, junior varsity, I need varsity. (laughs) Right? 
And Jesus heals him. He calls him a faithless and corrupt generation. Whether that was aimed at the disciples or the generation, all the people of Israel or both, is kind of irrelevant. It says in Matthew 17, though, in verse 19 and 20, after this episode, it says, Afterward, the disciples asked Jesus privately, Why couldn't we cast out that demon? Now, get this. There's no waste of words in Scripture. And I'm reading from the NLT. This is how it reads in the NLT. You do not have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth. If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. There are less baffling things that Jesus has said than this. Because if you're paying very close attention to the words, he seems to contradict himself. Remember, when they first brought the boy, after the disciples fail, he, said, he called them a faithless and corrupt generation. Then when they came and said, hey, why couldn't we get it done? He says, because you didn't have enough faith. Well, this might be where the NLT translation kind of fails us a little bit, because it's probably better translated, because of your unbelief. But then he goes on to say something that sounds contradictory regardless. I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would. Now, let's be honest. How many would like to see that? Just enough faith, just like move a whole mountain. Just take the high roll away and just move it down, I don't know, somewhere else. Be pretty cool? Yeah. Anyone seen any mountains move yet? No? Not necessarily. So what's Jesus telling us here? Is he just messing with us? Is this just metaphor? Because it seems to imply that I need to just believe harder. But remember, faith is belief plus action, right? So maybe I need to believe harder and I need to do more. Well, there's something else missing that I'd like to think. Because I'd like to think that the disciples believed. Don't you? And I'd like to think that they acted, however comical that story kind of conjures up in my head. I mean, imagine the picture, right? The father, desperate, brings in the boy, and he's like, can you help him? And they're like, yes, I've watched the big guy do it a lot. No, 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 Peter, I got this, watch this. And Peter's like, hey, I'm the oldest, get out the way, right? And then he's like, all right, I command you, come out. How does that go, right? I got to believe a little harder. I'm going to believe and I'm going to act. And he goes, no, 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 out. But do the thing that he did now. Oh, remember that time he spit in the dirt and made some mud? Oh, hey, don't move. Trust me. Yeah, right? I don't know. They're doing all the things that... You guys don't know that story that Jesus did one time? I'm not being irreverent. He spit in the dirt and made mud and put it on a dude's eyes. Maybe they tried that. They're doing all the things. What, you don't think there's no comedy in the Bible? You don't think God doesn't have a sense of humor? You should have looked in the mirror this morning. Sorry, that was easy, right? So it's just comical to me that they obviously believe in something and they're obviously doing some type of action, but it's a failure. So much so that they have to ask Jesus afterwards. He was like, hey, what's the difference? What's the, what's the key? And if his words matter, I don't think it means we have to believe harder. And although actions are an important part of faith, because faith is belief plus action, we just spent all of Joshua learning that, 
I don't think it means we need to act more necessarily, but there is something that's missing. There's something that was obviously missing. You see, the problem is, is we can have belief in something and action and our faith can still be kind of useless or at least powerless. At least I found that in my own experience. So what does God-sized faith look like? So you have to be really careful with how we describe that. And, and, and I'm not talking out of both sides of my mouth. I think there's something important to say what we believe in and for the reason for our action. You see, I can believe really, really hard in my belief. Oh, I believe more than him. I believe in her. I'm the most believerer in the building. And then if whatever I'm praying for or that part of my life that I just need God to show up, I can start saying, oh, I just got to believe harder and and look for examples and read more books and just, oh, God, you see how, how do you believe harder? What is that? What kind of gripping does that intent, right? You grunt harder, you grit your teeth, clench your fist, I believe. And some of us, that's what our faith is like. Just like those disciples. Now, I know I got to believe harder. Let me try that again. Right? This is what I think is important for us to understand about faith, particularly God-sized faith. Is it's not me having faith in my belief, nor is it me having faith in my action. Because if I just believe in my faith, or, or if I have faith in my belief and I have faith in my action, I'm really not connected to God, am I? It's all based on me. Did we catch that? See, with our faith, it's belief in who. And with our action, it's acting on behalf of who. Jesus wasn't saying it's the amount of faith that you have because he said mustard seed level faith can move a mountain. Mustard seed was the smallest of the known seeds at that time. So it's not about amount of belief in action. It's do you have any belief in action in something? And the disciples were disconnected from it. But when Jesus acted on faith, boom, immediately the demon leaves. So Jesus is connected to something that the disciples were not connected to. Because they both had belief in action. But Jesus got it done and the disciples were we're the keystone cops. I don't want my faith to be the keystone cops. I want faith that is God-sized. Tonight, the big point of what we're talking about with God-sized faith is this. God-sized faith is plugged into the person of Christ. God-sized faith is plugged into the person of Christ. You know, I was, I was thinking about this message. This isn't just the tail end of a three-week, you know, creatively planned series called God Size. This might be the most important message some of us ever hear. Not because I'm giving it. Our team put this message together. But I think many of us, we have faith in our belief and faith in our action, and somehow we're still disconnected from the person of Christ. And when I say the person of Christ, I'm talking about the very heart of Christ, the very nature of Jesus, the love connected to him. 
And that's obviously something the disciples weren't. This is before the crucifixion. This was before their faith in who he was as God was solidified by his death, burial, and resurrection. And I found that God-sized faith, and I believe scripture teaches, is plugged into the person of Christ. So the same way that Clark Griswold is struggling, he can't figure out why. He's put up all the lights. He's, he's ordered it in with all of the action. He's checked every bulb. He believes that if current will go into that wire, that it's going to light up and, and, and blank out an entire city block as far as the power grid goes. He's got the belief in action, but you remember it's not until the end that the kid plugs it in that it all happens. God-sized faith is plugged into the person of Christ. This is what Jesus meant in in Matthew chapter 25, that, that haunting, haunting passage where he speaks about the end of all things. And he says, one day every single one of us, every man, woman, child, right, will stand before the Lord and he will separate us as sheep from goats. And he, that whole thing, he talks about those that, that, that didn't feed the hungry or clothe the naked or give water to the thirsty or visit those in prison. He said he's going to send them to eternal damnation. And they'll sit there and say, what are you talking about? And he says, you saw me hungry, you saw me thirsty, you saw me naked, you saw me alone, and you had no part of me. And they're like, when did we see you do that? And on the flip side, those that he welcomes into heaven is you saw the hungry and you gave them food. You saw them, or the thirsty, you gave them something to drink. You saw the naked, you clothed them, and so forth and so on. And they said, when did that happen? And he says, whenever you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's connected to the last thing Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25. Or sorry, the last part about his judgment. He says, to those who didn't, He says, depart from me, I never knew you. More than one place he says that. You see, you can know a lot about Christ and not know Christ. You can have a lot of faith that God can do something, but not have faith in the heart and the character of our Savior. It's all about being connected. See, that's where the belief And the action, that's where those two things get their power. Because you can believe all day long that there's a God, but if you're not connected, plugged in to Christ, it's not God-sized faith. You can do a lot of things. You can serve, you can give, you can tithe. You can help others, you can be a good person. But if you're not plugged in to the person of Christ, you're not going to have God-sized faith. Now, when we take that idea that God-sized faith is plugged into the person of Christ in a relationship, now we lay that on this Romans 12 passage that we've been using as our guide. In fact, if you still have a Bible with you, if you flip over to Romans chapter 12, remember the beginning, it said, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is our spiritual act of worship. Then he went on and says, don't think of yourself too highly than you ought. Let's get real with ourselves. Last week we looked at how it, you know, we use our different gifts in accordance with the measure of our faith. And then we get here into verse 6. And Paul writes, In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, 
teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. You notice something that, that well, first of all, that, that's not an exhaustive list of all the gifts that are available within the church. That's not all the gifts. There's different lists of gifts, right? These are the things that he says right here. God has given each one of us, every single one of us, he's given us something that we can do well, right? That's a spiritual gift. And spiritual gifts are always given to build up the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts are not given to build up yourself and make yourself look good or serve yourself. Those are talents, right? But a spiritual gift is something, it might be a passion, it might be related to your talent, but it's something that will build up the body of Christ. And he says, these are given by God. But if you notice in those three verses that we read, he says, if you have the gift of prophecy, do it well. If you have the gift of teaching, do it well. If you have a servant heart, serve others well. If your gift is generosity or being generous, practice that. Do it well. You see, when I move just beyond my ability to believe and my ability to act, when I'm plugged into the person of Christ, now I have God-sized faith. And what God-sized faith looks like is plugged in. These verses say that my gifts are amplified. My gifts are amplified. Do you guys know what I mean by amplified? I'll tell you what, silence is amplified. (laughs) Sorry, I won't harangue you anymore. Do you guys know what I mean by amplified? It's like there's a gift... And that's nice, and there's a belief and some action, but when you're really plugged in to the heart of Christ, when you're really plugged into the person of Christ, the gift is amplified. So the very first one he said was like, if you have the gift of prophecy. Well, this is what the gift of prophecy sounds like when it's not amplified, okay? about volume. Ah, you see that? Tricks with technology. Don't try that at home. The microphone amplifies the voice. The same way that a microphone can amplify a voice or speakers can amplify instruments. When you and I get plugged into the person of Christ, that which he's given us, now it comes alive. Now there's power. And some of us have been operating without any power because we're still operating out of duty or we're operating out of appearance. We're operating with a mask. And the motivation isn't because I'm connected to the person of Christ. I'm not connected to the character in the heart of God. And if you want to have God-sized faith, somehow we've got to figure out how do we get connected to the person of Christ. That's why, you know, you hear me go off so many times. It's like, yeah, I'm okay when we talk about God. I get really excited when I overhear people talking about Jesus. Because everyone in our culture is okay with God. But the God of what? Or the God of who? You see, when I talk about God, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm mincing words here, but God can remain distant or like this inhuman force, right? It's all the power that holds the universe together. Everyone believes in God, but when you talk about Jesus as a person, people look at you like, 
you're nuts, right? Now, this might hurt a little bit. That's why we don't do it more. And that keeps us disconnected. The reason God came in flesh as Jesus Christ was so we could be connected to a person. That's why we get excited about the stories we read about him. That's why we get excited and put all the words in the Bible in red when he speaks. God-sized faith is about being plugged in to the person of Christ, Jesus Christ. If we go back to Romans, it isn't just our gifts that are amplified. In verse 9 it says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. What does that amplify? What does that have to do with God-sized faith? Well, right at the beginning, he says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. In the church, as Christians, we're really good at, at, at uh, 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 saying that we love people, but we don't really. And I, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I purposefully pushed buttons a little bit last week. In fact, somebody even told me tonight, they said, uh, uh, John, I, I think the reason you thought we were really dead last week is we misunderstood what you said. I, I, I think what we heard you say is that racists are welcome here. And I think you meant to say races are welcome here. And I don't remember what I said. It had been a long day. But I'm going to tell you, races and racists are welcome here. Do you understand that? Now, I don't want you to be a racist, right? But if you're still sorting it out, like I know some of us are, you're still welcome here. That's what it means when it says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. And it's when I get connected, when I get plugged in to the person of Christ, I understand he doesn't discriminate on the basis of my race or my sin. And so as a church in North America in 2018, we have to stop pretending and this loving other people is going to get messy. How else are we going to point them to Christ and be a God-sized church? Well, that's going to take God-sized faith. You see... I think what these verses right here in Romans are saying is now love is amplified. It's not just my gifts that are amplified. If I'm plugged into the heart of Christ, now love is amplified. That means I don't get to not love anybody. Surely you don't mean that, John. No, we're we're, we're supposed to love them. And you know, love, like faith, involves action. And loving those that aren't like you gets really, really uncomfortable. So how do we do that? Well, look at the life of Jesus. Look at the people that he hung out with. You know, one of the accusations against Jesus was that he was a friend of sinners. He hung out with drunkards and prostitutes and tax collectors. And I'm thinking, what a beautiful title for God himself. Friend of sinners? Are we glad that Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners? Are we glad? I'm glad. And I think that when we 
are plugged into the person of Christ, each one of us would gladly wear that title as well. Friend of sinners. I want to be known as a friend of sinners. And being a friend of sinners just doesn't mean driving by and saying I'm okay with them. I know I've said this before. If, if, you're, a, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to be careful I don't hurt anybody's feelings, but if it hurts your feelings, good. <laughs> if you're a follower of Jesus and you don't have any friends that aren't Christians, I wonder sometimes how effective of a Christian life we're living. I don't think that's a God-sized life, and I, I don't want to be that kind of church because that's not a God-sized church. And that certainly isn't God-sized faith. How else am I going to point anybody to Jesus if I don't have friends who are sinners? So when we're plugged into the person of Christ, we realize that, hey, being a friend of sinners, that doesn't make me unclean. Christ is in me. When you show up, when I show up, we bring the light of the world with us. Not because of us, but because he lives in us and we're plugged into the person of Christ. That's love amplified. And because he accepted me when I was lost, when I, when, when I was one of the one and he left the 99 in his reckless love to come find me, I want to be the same kind of person. I want to have the same kind of heart. And even though I'm not Jesus and I can't save anybody, I want to have that kind of love. But it only comes when I realize, ah, that's how God treated me first. And when I live there, not only are my gifts Gifts are amplified. Now my love is amplified. Now I don't reject anybody. Yeah, I'm, I might, you know, what, what does it say right here? It says, uh, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. That's probably the closest scripture ever says to hate the sin but not the sinner. The problem is, is some of us hate the sin so hard, we just kind of lump the sinner in with it. No, you can hate the sin on behalf of yourself but love the sinner. And oh, by the way, if, if, they're, a, if they're not a Christian and, and they're participating in a lifestyle that you don't approve of, you don't get to judge them. Did you know that? The Bible tells you that? You don't get to judge someone who's not a Christian and live in some lifestyle that you don't agree with. If there's no God and you don't believe in God, do whatever you want. I've said that multiple times. That's logic. If there is no God, do whatever you want. We only get to judge other Christians engaging in sin. We're supposed to do that. You didn't know that one, did you? We don't judge their souls. But absolutely, we judge what sin and what is not sin for our brothers in Christ. And when I understand that Christ died for my sin, now love is amplified. Last but not least, in verse 12, he finishes this familiar passage by saying, Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. I think I remember memorizing that years ago. Rejoice or be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. What does that mean? What's amplified there with God-sized faith? I think what gets amplified there is our focus is amplified. Our focus is amplified. It's very easy as a Christian to lose focus, especially if we've had the belief and we've done all the action and we're secretly struggling because the Christmas lights didn't come on and there's no joy and we're like, is this even real? And then we start trudging along the Christian life or the journey of do this and do that and we don't see the life change or the marriage change or the relationships change or whatever, the addiction change and it gets really, really difficult. 
Well, when he says to us right here in this last verse to rejoice, he's saying stay grateful. He says confident hope, be patient, things are going to be hard, and keep on praying. Hoping for what? Patient for what? Praying for what? Hoping and praying for God to do his thing. Hoping, being patient and praying. Stay confident that God's in control. What did Drew share tonight? So many times we love to take control. That even if he's not answering my prayer the way I want it answered, he's got a plan and it's bigger than me. You see, I know for me, many times I have enough belief and I have enough action to get what I want. Well, what if my belief and my action isn't about what I want? What if the person of Christ has another plan? Rejoice in that. Be patient in that. Be confident in that. Keep moving in a direction. You know, I was just thinking as I was listening to uh, your testimony tonight, Abe. I love it how the Amish guy who became a Mennonite guy who's now on the setup crew for the Manistee campus, he goes, setting up sucks. (laughs) You've come a long way, baby, right? Because it does. We're six weekends in. And those men and women and young people in Manistee, they're pushing hard, right? It's not just with a campus setup. Some of us have been, been, been experiencing being generous for a while. Hey, you know, I've talked over my wife and we're going to tithe. And not only that, but we're going to give generously and be extravagant. Because God told us in the first week, it's like, yes, look how generous we are. The second week, it's like, yeah, that felt good. The third week, it's like, well, we made a commitment and we do that. And then the fourth week, it's like, how are we going to go on vacation? You don't think, or you thought you were the only one that was there? I've been there. And we lose focus. Or when we're loving that person that's hard to love, right? We start out, this is what Jesus would do. He would go after the one, I'm going to go after this one. And then you get the call and you got to go again. And then the third time, and then the fourth time, and you're like, hey, where's tough love in the Bible? It's time to get tough. And we lose focus. It's easy for us to take our eye off the prize. But... When we're connected to the person of Christ, we remember that our focus, what it's for, that it's not on our success. It's not on our church's success. It's not even on our family's success. Really, it's about staying connected, staying plugged in to the person of Jesus. I was talking to uh, a friend just this week. We're sitting around a bonfire, and he's facing a really really big decision about where, you know, where God is going to take he and his wife. And literally, he's felt like God has told him, you know, he's trying to sort through, God has told him to move to a different city and pursue a ministry that he's already been participating in here in northern Michigan. He feels like God's saying, no, now I want you to go to southern Michigan. And, and he sat there and he said, but John, you don't understand. God has set me free, set my wife free, and she's counseling with ladies, and I'm counseling with guys, and we're counseling, and I've got all these different groups. I'm leading all these different men's groups, and they're being set free, and man, I just don't know. I don't know if this is what I'm supposed to do. And so we spent a lot of time talking through that at this bonfire to, you know, it got pretty late. It was more like three o'clock in the morning. And uh, I know, right? He's long-winded.
Some of you know who I'm talking about, and you know who he is. It's just, I am too, and you put those two together, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. But at the end of the conversation, I asked him, I said, okay, regardless of where you do with what God is showing you, he's going to confirm it, told him some other things. I said, what do you know that you know that you know that you're supposed to do right now? And he said, wherever I end up, I'm supposed to do this ministry. And I went, wrong. And then his wife filled in the blanks. She said, no, wherever we end up, we're supposed to stay connected personally and intimately with Jesus. Bam. You see the difference? And then he was like, oh, I thought that was a given. <laughs> good, good recovery, pal. But you guys understand what I'm saying? You know, if, you're, if it's getting harder and harder and harder to exercise God-sized faith and stay sober, right? The most important thing is not your sobriety. The most important thing is for you to maintain a deep and intimate personal connection plugged into the person of Christ. If it's been a long time in ministry, if you're on the setup team and it's really hot, you know, if you're tired of being security at this church, if you're tired of working with the nursery of the kids, if you're tired of always being the care and the, and the council, if you're tired of leading that small group and you're thinking, well, the most important thing is I just keep plugging. No, the most important thing is you keep the focus which is plugged into the person of Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. Everything else gets amplified when we do that. Our gifts are amplified. Our love is amplified. Our focus is amplified. Belief in action. Yeah, that's faith. But it's only belief in action. That faith is only God-sized if it's plugged into the power source. It's into a person. And when we do that, man, we get God-sized. When we do that, instead of the, what happened? I had... I checked everything. Instead, we get this picture from Clark Griswold. Remember that moment of joy? You guys want that? I know it's Chevy Chase, but come on, play along. When we're plugged into a person, it's about our faith being God-sized. And man, then our lives are God-sized, and then we're a church of people that are connected, then we have people coming up to us say, hey, what is it that you have that I don't have? And you can honestly say, well, it's this program that I'm in. It's this book. No. Oh, it's this church that I go to. It's this uh, really awesome. No, no, it's none of that. It's this sermon I heard. No. All of that is useless if you're not plugged into the real God-man, Jesus. That's what we have to be plugged into. That's what we have to fight to stay connected to. And that's going to look different for different ones of us. But when we do that, man, your faith gets God-sized. And then we start praying God-sized prayers. And some of them (laughs) blow the doors off. So what's God saying? Would you bow your heads with me? Take a moment. What's he saying to you? Are you plugged into that person of Jesus? Are you struggling with Finding an area where your gifts can be used or used powerfully. Or with love. It's okay to say, listen, in and of myself, I'm not a very loving person. I fake it. Would you like it to be real? Or maybe it's with focus. Maybe it's hard to stay patient. It's hard to stay joyful and to continue to rejoice. 
You got to get plugged into that person to know him intimately, to be known by him, and to know that he is enough. If the church goes away, if the songs go, if we lose our freedom to worship, if we lose everything around us, if we lose everyone, if we lose our identity in all of the things that we do and the areas that we serve and minister and have jobs and family, if all that goes away, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? That's God-sized faith. That's plugged in. Lord, I want that. I do, Lord, I want that. 